Well, hello. Great to see everyone here. It's great to see you in person, folks online. Glad you joined us. As they just talked about, it is back to school time. So we're going to start today with a pop quiz. Yeah, a pop quiz. Seriously. Um, this is good because it'll get everybody warmed up for school and everything. So grab a pen, grab a piece of paper. If you have the sermon notes, it has the pop quiz on it. It's just one question. Um, this summer, we have been studying the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. And so we've been doing this every weekend. So the question today is, what is Colossians about? Seriously, pop quiz, this is graded. Go ahead, write down, what is Colossians about? And don't copy, don't cheat and copy the person next to you. I know husbands will be tempted to copy their wives' paper. You, you can do this, you can, in your own words, what is Colossians about? Now, if you haven't been here this summer, it's okay. Just guess. Just make it up. What does Colossians sound like it would be about? Colossians. Um, to me, it sounds like a, a made-up drug, pharmaceutical. You know, now introducing Colossians. Maybe something to do with your colon and sloshing. Um, I actually am one of those people that my stomach gurgles really loudly, so maybe I should ask my doctor about Colossians for help with abnormal stomach gargling, gurgling. Um, that's not what Colossians is about. Uh, what is Colossians about? Write it down. I actually love the way that the book of Colossians ends. The last verse, it says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Colossians is not about Paul's chains, he, the fact that he's in prison. It doesn't give us a detailed account of all the suffering that he's gone through for this deal. But it is about something that is worth being in chains for, going through hardship, something that's worth giving up everything for. What is Colossians about? Write it down. Uh, this summer, we have been pressing into community, discipleship, and God's presence. And today, we're talking about discipleship. Next week, we'll talk about community. The week after, we'll talk about God's presence. And if we are followers of Jesus, we are his disciples, his apprentices. We are learning to live our lives as though Jesus was living them, be, to be transformed, to be like Jesus. It's a big deal. And yes, Colossians is both about discipleship and studying Colossians this summer has been us pressing into discipleship. If on your pop quiz you wrote discipleship, nice job. 10 gold stars. Um, but discipleship is not the only answer. It's not the only correct answer for the quiz. Yeah, this summer as we've been studying through Colossians, we've called this series of talks, Jesus, Bring Us to Life. And Colossians is totally about Jesus bringing us to life. God made you alive with Christ. Yeah, it's about transformation, being alive with Christ, about the, what discipleship, the goal of discipleship. So if on your pop quiz you put new life, nice job. 15 gold stars, woohoo! Um, hey, that's not the only way to say it though. There's other ways to say it, like Jesus did. Jesus said, um, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or in the message version, I love this. I came so that they may have real and eternal life, more and better life 
than they ever dreamed. Colossians is about abundant life, the best life. So you could have put on your test, you could have put abundant life or real life or new life. All those would be great answers on the pop quiz. Oh, oh, you could have put on the pop quiz life on the rock. Jesus says that we build our lives on the rock. Colossians is about that too. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Colossians is totally about life on the rock, that they may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Yet what does this life on the rock look like in like actual practice? Oh, I love the way that Dallas Willard describes life on the rock in his fabulous book, Define Conspiracy. Actually, chapter nine of the book is titled The Curriculum for Christlikeness. You could put that on the quiz. Curriculum for Christlikeness. Oh, that's a tongue twister. Um, but hey, here's the part about life on the rock. Certainly, life on the rock must be a good way to live. Wouldn't you like to be one of those intelligent people who know how to live a rich and unshakable life? One free from loneliness, fear, and anxiety, and filled with constant peace and joy. Would you like to love your neighbors as you do yourself and be free of anger, envy, lust, and covetousness? Would you like to have no need for others to praise you? And would you like to not be paralyzed and humiliated by their dislike and condemnation? Would you like to have the inspiration and strength to lead a constant life of creative goodness? It sounds pretty good thus far, doesn't it? Wouldn't you also like to have a strength and understanding that enables you genuinely and naturally to bless those who are cursing you or cheating you, beating you out on the job, spitting on you in a confrontation, laughing at your religion or culture, even killing you. Or the strength and understanding merely to give further needed assistance to someone who has forced you to drop what you are doing and help out. To offer the other cheek to someone who has slapped you. Clearly, our entire inner reality of thought and feeling would have to be transformed to bring us to such a place. Yeah, it would require transformation, and that's what Colossians is about. You have taken off the old self and its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. All right, I hope you've enjoyed our pop quiz. All right, the, the thing that is worth being in chains for, the thing that is worth giving up everything for is the prize in Colossians. The promise of discipleship is the prize. Yeah, Colossians is about Jesus bringing us to life, to new life, abundant life, the, the, a life beyond our wildest dreams, life on the rock. Colossians is about this process that the Holy Spirit is using. He's inviting us into to have new life, to come to life. Do we want that? More and more life in us. Do, do we want to do it? 
right? Discipleship, <laughs> pressing in, transformation, to, to come to life, to, to actually build our house on the rock. Each and every one of us today will decide for ourselves if we want that. That's the real test. Are we in? And before you answer too quickly, um, wanting this is like wanting everything else in your life. Some of us want to speak Spanish. Yeah, we want to speak Spanish. So we, we took Spanish in high school, maybe college, and now we hardly know any Spanish at all. We can't speak Spanish. But we say to ourselves, I, I, I want to learn Spanish. But we, we don't speak any more Spanish than we did before. And let me tell you something. Trust me, this is true. People can actually learn to speak Spanish. It's doable. It is. So if we don't speak Spanish, it's because we don't want to. We don't actually intend to. Colossians is about the fact that following this following Jesus business is doable. It can be done. We can come to life if we want, if we intend, if we do our part in it. So before we get too far into this business, let's stop and let's pray for that, that we would actually want this. Holy Spirit, come, come. We need you. We need you to change what we actually want and what we actually do and how we open ourselves up to let you change us. God, as I went back and I was, uh, I pulled out my Dallas Willard book and I read that passage, I saw how years ago I had written just a giant yes with an explanation point next to that. I want that in my life. But sometimes I don't. I don't actually do what's needed for that to come apart, come about. God, change something in me. Help me to see this beautiful picture of a life free of loneliness and anxiety and full of all these amazing characters in you, Jesus, peace and joy. I want to live like you, Jesus. I need to want it more. Each of us do. So come now and change our hearts. Lord, I pray that you put power on these words today. Amen. Okay, before we look at um, what brings us to life, before we look at this process that's in Colossians of us coming to life, we need to look at what's not in Colossians. What doesn't bring us to life? Because unfortunately, in the American church today, we have taken some good things, some helpful things, and we have decided that those things should bring us to life. And they don't. So, for starters, the book of Colossians is not very long. It is short. It is like four pages long. Go home and read it today. It's really easy. Four, it's four pages long. And it is not this huge, long book full of details because more information doesn't bring us to life. No. Remember that the devil probably knows, in some ways, more about Jesus than we do. And if, we, um, if we're the kind of people that come to church, most folks that come to church, we actually know a bunch about how this deal works. We do. That's not the issue. For most of us, the issue is that we don't actually believe in that we don't actually live like it's true, the stuff that we already know. So for example, 
Um, most of us know that when we start following Jesus, we invite Jesus into our lives, into us. That's in Colossians. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is all and is in all followers of Jesus. Cool, we know that. Do we actually believe it? Do we live like it's true? When we walk into any situation, any room, do we walk in with the confidence that the almighty God, Jesus himself, is right there in that room because he's in us? Or when we're interacting with other followers of Jesus, do we treat them? Do we honor them? Do we give them the love as though there's Jesus right in front of us? Because he is. He's in them. Or when we see that there's change needed in our lives, are we like, yeah, there's change needed and it's gonna change because Christ is in me and his love and his power will inevitably work themselves out to change me. Again, for almost all of us, the issue isn't that we need to know more. It's that we need to believe what we already know. We need to live like it's true. Next, hey, it is really healthy to obey Jesus, what he told us to do. Yeah, um, I mean, think about it. The life that's built on the rock is built by the person who hears what Jesus says and puts it into practice. It, it, obedience is a, such a great way to love God back. It, we see over and over again in the Bible how the obedient life is the abundant life. Now, how obedience and abundance are the same in the kingdom of God, that's a talk for another day. Don't have time for today. Today, what we need to see is that in Colossians, Paul talks way less about obedience and following the rules than many churches today. Because external conformity to the teachings of Jesus doesn't bring us to life. No, it's good, but this uh, coming to life, it starts in our hearts, not in what we do yeah, if you've been here, you've probably heard us say over and over again, it's, this isn't about trying harder. You know, following Jesus is not about trying harder because you can try harder and you actually can do it. You can follow the rules, you know, to some degree for a little while, but it doesn't last and it doesn't change our hearts and it doesn't feel it isn't new life in us. No, that's not what changes us following the rules. Now, let me be clear. External conformity to the, to the teachings of Jesus that naturally flows from new life. But it doesn't work the other way. That it doesn't cause new life. Do you see that? Let that sink in. Feel the freedom of that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's in you. The transformation that's happening in you, your sins, your mistakes, you messing up can't stop it. Okay, similarly, um, although Colossians does talk about the fact that they had some mistaken beliefs there, right? It says, you know, watch out for believing these uh, fine-sounding words. Um, that's not the focus of Colossians. In fact, Colossians doesn't even say enough about what the problem was there for historians today to agree on what the doctrinal problem was there. See, professing perfectly correct doctrine doesn't bring us to life. Now, I want to be clear. 
I love doctrine. It is super important what we believe. It is. But just look at the history of the church, right? Insisting on perfect doctrine has done way more to fracture us from each other, to to split churches apart, to to end up in all these crazy different denominations. It's done way more for that than it's done to actually bring us to life. If you and I agree, believe, live like Jesus is Lord, we have way more in common than will ever separate us. Colossians is not about perfect doctrine. It's about Jesus. And if we want to come to life, we need to focus on Jesus. What are we focused on? Okay, uh, those are like the big three that we often fall into. There's two more, though, that are alive and well in the American church, so I'm going to hit those quickly. Um, One is church activity, right? It is good to come to church, to go to small group, to go to take classes, to give, to serve. All of those things are good. And what they are is they're kind of like a greenhouse, where um, things grow. We come to life, and they flow from new life, but they are not the primary objective. Also, special experiences. I love being racked by the Holy Spirit, right? Singing in worship and having the tears, feeling his presence. You know, you sometimes have it happen at conferences or on silent retreats. I love that. But these special states of mind, these uh, ecstatic experiences, they don't bring us to life. Now, they accompany coming to life. They're part of the deal, But here's the thing, the promise is not that we'll have occasional mountaintop moments. The promise is that our everyday, normal, even mundane lives will be abundant and the best. All right, those are some traps, some things that distract us from how we actually come to life. And it's important to see those distractions. Colossians chapter two particularly has singles out those things and say, hey, don't go here, here's where you go. So now the main event, how do we come to life? What's the process that God is using that we see in Colossians? And so for this, I'm going back to Dallas Willard because he just says it so well. And um, this is what Paul is trying to do through Colossians, for us. The first objective is to bring apprentices to the point where they dearly love and constantly delight in that heavenly father made real to earth in Jesus and are are quite certain that there is no catch, no limit to the goodness of his intentions or to his power to carry them out. The second primary objective of the curriculum for Christ-likeness is to remove our automatic responses against the kingdom of God, to free the apprentices of domination, of enslavement, like in John 8.34 or Romans 6.6, to their old habitual patterns of thought, feeling, and action. These are the automatic patterns of response that were ground into the embodied social self during its long life outside the kingdom among us. They make up the sin that is in my members, which Paul so brilliantly understood brings it about that wishing to do the good is mine, but doing it is not. 
Peter, or sorry, Paul's letter to the Colossians is perhaps the best overall statement on the spiritual formation of the disciple in the New Testament. I suspect this is because it is written to people whom Paul had never met and had never had the opportunity to teach. So he gives them a well-rounded presentation. Chapters one and two correspond quite closely to the first primary objective of the curriculum for Christ-likeness. Chapters three and four correspond precisely to the second primary objective. Okay, you got that? It's pretty dense, isn't it? So, so we're going to unpack it, right? We're going to see how this applies in our lives. So part one, part one, Paul is inviting us to be enthralled, to be captivated by God. Chapter one and two, the first two chapters of Colossians have this beautiful picture of Jesus. He is incredible and supreme. And this, you just see the amazing things that he has done and who we are in him. And all of that is in there so that we will fall more deeply and deeply in love with him. So we will, our minds will be enthralled. They will be fixed on. They will be delighted in who God is. And so our hearts will, will just be so attracted to him that we'll just have this incredible attraction that will be captivated by who God is. Colossians sums that process up this way. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Okay, so who is this God that we're to fall more and more deeply in love with? Who is this God seated above? Who, who is this God that we were raised with? I am so very glad you've asked because Colossians goes into so much depth about who Jesus is. Jesus is the God of creation. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's a big deal that God created the universe, and our sin, it messed it up, but Jesus is still holding it all together right now. Science. Science will never answer the question, is there or isn't there a God? But science, I love science because it shows us how elegant, how extraordinary this creation is. It is so crazy, amazing, and it points to its creator. This universe was created out of God's incredible love. The, the, the Bible is perfectly clear on this point, and that love of creation, it echoes out through all of creation. Do you hear it? When's the last time you have felt, you have sensed God through creation? Because a God that would create sunsets and beautiful forests and lakes and mountains, glorious mountains, a God that would create puppies and smiling babies' faces. That's a God that we can love. This is good. Creation is good. 
But it doesn't stop there. It, it's not enough to really show us the depth of the Father heart of God. For that, we also need to see that Jesus, he is the God of rescue. He's the God of rescue. Firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Cross. Colossians keeps coming back over and over again to the cross. The cross. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He, forg he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. How often do we think about the cross? Because the cross makes crystal clear how much God loves us. The cross, the, the cross is who God is. God is love. And, and it is so personal for you, for me. The cross is God looking down on you, looking down on me with incredible compassion for us. The cross tells us that no matter how bad things get, no matter how bad we get, God is always there to rescue us to bail us out, to love us. His love for us is so great. Do we feel that love? I'll tell you, the cross is a big part of being enthralled, being captivated by God. And it doesn't stop at the cross. No. He is also raised from the dead. Over and over again, Colossians talks about the resurrection, how we are raised with him. We are raised in new life. It, that, being raised with him is part of how Jesus is in us. So, here at the Vineyard, we sometimes talk about how the resurrection proves that it is all true. And it does. Proves it's all true. It proves that the gospel about Jesus is true. The gospel about Jesus is the gospel that Jesus, is the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself, made himself human, died for our sins. That's all about Jesus. And the resurrection proves it's true. And that's where we start. But do we also believe the gospel of Jesus? Not about him, of him. This is the gospel that Jesus believes, that he taught Jesus taught over and over again that he was bringing us to life, that he was here for us to be born again, to come to life. The resurrection proves that's true too, that we have him in us, him in us, and us in him, that he is here now in his people, in his church, teaching us, transforming us. He's doing this now, bringing us to life. Let that sink in Jesus at work through the resurrection. Okay, next. Um, this needs to get even more personal. Yeah, we need to see that Jesus is the God of our lives. And Colossians does that. It makes this personal for us. Um, once you, that's you, 
each of you, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Yeah, your evil behavior. But now, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Since the moment you believed, you have been raised. Or, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. There's way more here that we can unpack today. So we're just going to focus in on the chosen part. We know, we know that we're chosen. But do we believe it? Do we live like it's true? Just think about this. Many of us don't like ourselves. No, we don't like who we are. We don't. We think maybe if we had been born, you know, at, at a different time, a different place, with different parents, then things could be better. Here's the thing. God chose all those things. He chose when you were born, where you were born, who you were born to. He chose all those things about you. And it's kind of hard to be enthralled, to be captivated, to fall further and further in love with a God that you think screwed you over. He didn't. He didn't. No. God has absolutely no doubt that the path appointed for you by where you were born and when you were born and who you were born through all of his choices, that that path is good. And that nothing irredeemable has happened to you or will ever happen to you to keep you from your destiny in his kingdom. Do we doubt that? Because if we do, we need to deal with those doubts so that we can actually trust God. Really, we need to be sure, like really sure, that it is good for us to be and to be who we are. This is a deal. It's like a big deal. Like even for pastors and Christian leaders. Too often, pastors think things like, wait, this is my life? Like, God, I've done so much for you. I've worked so hard and this is my life? I think I'm going to need to take care of my own needs. And that is the road to moral failure. It is not the road to new life. It really helps to remember both that Paul is in chains and Paul never doubts that God is for him. For me, it's really helpful to go back to the story of Joseph. It's in Genesis 37 through 40. Joseph had some hard things happen to him, right? Sold into slavery, thrown into prison, hard stuff. And yet Joseph never doubts that his life is good in God. Uh, if today you hear, you're hearing this and you're like, um, if you're not sure that it is good for you to be and to be who you are, maybe just start out by admitting that and asking the Holy Spirit into that place. Asking the God who loves you, who doesn't just love you, he likes you, he made you, he chose everything about you, he delights in you, ask him into that place. All right, so um, this is the first step. 
right? This is the step that we see in Colossians chapter one and two, which is us falling more in love with God, us being enthralled, captivated by God. And this is, the, this is all about the fact that this is a relationship with God, right? We, we need this relational part of God to, to press into that, but it's not all. There is a part two. And by the way, these two parts work together. They, they feed off each other. The part two that we see in Colossians, the thing that Paul is inviting us into is for us to replace our automatic responses, to replace those responses. Now, us humans do tons of stuff. We do tons of stuff without thinking. We don't even think about it. Yeah, if you drove here today, I bet not a lot of conscious thought went into your thinking or your driving. It wasn't like, now I shall put on my blinker. No, we do it without thinking. It's, it's because we are creatures of habit, of pattern, of the automatic responses that govern our lives. So, when we wake up again in bed with someone that we shouldn't, or we again watch porn, or when we once again buy something that we don't really need and we certainly can't afford, or when we get just so mad again and can't control our anger, or when you know, filthy language, curse words, or lies just flow out of our mouths, so often what we say is, it just happened. I didn't even think about it. It just happened. Yeah, and that's not just an excuse. That's our automatic responses. Paul understood this. He talked about the sin, the evil that resides in our members, in our flesh, in our earthly nature. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Paul also understood that our automatic responses can change. That we can both, we can both, Rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips, and we can clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Yeah, we can take on habits of goodness, new automatic responses. We can. Paul, he used the analogy to close, right? He's like, take off those old sinful habits, Hang those up. Put on the new automatic responses. That's what he's talking about when he says, since then you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. But how? Any guesses on how we do that? These are automatic responses. You don't even think about them. So you can't just like make hard and make them change. Is it through years of therapy? Hypnosis, electric shock, brain surgery. How? Paul, in Colossians, doesn't tell us exactly how it changes. No, he doesn't. He doesn't tell us how to do what's in chapter 3 and 4. That can be very, very frustrating to us today. Let me tell you, though, when this letter went to the, you know, Colossians, the actual Colossians, it didn't bother them one bit. And that's because they knew something back then that we seem to have forgotten. That if we are disciples, we are apprentices, we don't just listen to what our master says and try to do that. We also look at our master. We watch. We pay attention to what they do and we do what they do. Actions 
are more powerful than words when it comes to training disciples' apprentices. We may have forgotten that, but they didn't back then. They completely understand to change your automatic responses, what you need to do is you need to imitate Jesus and his practices. And you even need to imitate leaders like Paul as they imitate Jesus. So we need to know, what did Jesus do? Right? We need to read those gospels and study him. And if we look at Jesus, it's not that complicated. What we see, we see Jesus, right? We see a guy who prayed a ton. Boy, did he pray. And as he prayed, he often praised his father, right? And he also was very thankful to his father over and over again. In Jesus, we see a guy who time with his father was imported. He spent extended times in silence and solitude. And Jesus, he was a guy who knew the Bible, right? He loved the Bible. In Jesus, we see a life, a life, a life full of simplicity and servanthood and submission and sacrifice. A, 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 life, a, of, a life of chastity and frugality and fellowship and celebration. What do we have here? What we have here is what we would call in like church talk, spiritual disciplines. I think that's a horrible name for them. But that's what, these are spiritual disciplines. These are the things Jesus did. Actually, Dallas Willard and um, Richard Foster have excellent books on spiritual disciplines. Now, the spiritual disciplines, they don't earn you any gold stars in heaven. Nope. What they do is they open us up to God's grace. They open us up to his love and his power coming in us. And for today, what they do is they allow us to have something, to, to something that we can't do on our own, change our automatic responses. They're a way for us to help bring about that change. Because as we open ourselves up through spiritual disciplines, the Holy Spirit comes and changes our automatic responses. So, it's not entirely true that Paul didn't tell them how to do this. Because over and over again, Paul talked to them about thankfulness. He told them to be thankful, to be devoted to thankfulness. This is over and over again in Colossians. It's like Paul is saying, hey, 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 look who Jesus is. Whoa, Jesus, he's incredible. He is supreme. Can you believe who Jesus is? And can you believe what he did? Wow, it is so incredible what he did. In you, what he's done for you, who he's turned you into, what he's created in you, look at who Jesus is. Now, be thankful for that. Like, devote yourself to being thankful. Like, take it seriously. Like, take time, make an effort to be thankful. And if you do that, huh, everything else will pretty much eventually just fall into place. Just be thankful. It'll change those automatic responses. Seriously, try it. Just try it. I dare you. Try it. Um, I guess now we're back to learning Spanish. Um, if it, it's no surprise that you can't speak Spanish if you don't do anything to learn to speak Spanish. It's no surprise that we're not coming to life if, one, we're not falling more and more in love with Jesus. We're not in, our minds aren't enthralled, our hearts aren't captivated by him. And two, we're not using spiritual disciplines to open ourselves up to God's grace to change our automatic responses. 
See, the, the test today isn't what is Colossians about. No. The test today is do we actually want Jesus to bring us to life? Why don't you uh, stand up with me and we'll move into ministry time and we'll talk to Jesus about that. This is a time here at the Vineyard where we interact with him. We, we let him come and make what we've been talking about real for us. So, Holy Spirit, come. If you want that, if you think you actually want to come to life, I want to pray for you right now. And if you don't want it, you can just, we'll, we can just ask again for that. Lord, come and change us so that we'll actually want, we'll actually intend to come to life. But if right now you're here, you're watching online, or you're like, yep, I want that. I know I do. I need that. I need to come to life. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, come. And God, I pray that you come close to each person in this room, each person listening to these words online, everyone that wants to come to life, that wants new life in you. I pray that you just solidify that desire in our hearts. You come and you make that the priority of our lives. You rearrange things inside us. And Lord, as you do that, you start by just coming and flooding us with your love. Just remind us how much you love us. As you love us, we're gonna love you back, Jesus. We're gonna turn around and love you. It's, that's how us humans work. And no one loves us more than you do. Come, Lord. Help us to feel that love. You came and died on that cross for me. You would have done it just for me. You would have done it for each person in this room. You created us. You love what you made. And you wanted it back when sin messed it up. Lord, come. Help us to see more and more of who you are and fall in love with you. And then God, with these things in our lives where we just automatically do things that we don't want to do, we want to, to live with compassion and patience and kindness, and they don't always just automatically flow from us. Lord, we want those things to change. So even now, help us to decide that we're gonna do some things to let you in to change those. We're, we're gonna spend some time in silence and solitude. We're gonna, we're gonna pray, we're gonna do the things that Jesus did so that we can be like Jesus. It's not that complicated to be an apprentice of Jesus. We listen to what you say, we try to do that. But we also look at how you lived and we live that way. Okay, give us the strength to actually do that to commit to that. Come Holy Spirit, we want to come to life. Jesus, bring us to life. You know, I'm gonna invite the Holy, uh, I'm gonna invite the ministry team to come up with the Holy Spirit. And so, and so if, you, uh, if you feel God's doing stuff inside of you right now, we'd love to pray for that. We'd love to pray for that. If, you, if you're like, yep, I want to come to life. A really powerful thing would be to let someone pray for you. Let, the, let them connect you to the, what the Holy Spirit's doing. Maybe you're like, I want to fall more in love with Jesus, but I don't, I'm not sure I feel his love. I don't know what he's doing in that area. 
Let someone pray for you. Maybe you look at your life and you see these automatic responses. You see where you're falling into your sin of choice, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Whatever that sin is, and you're like, I can't seem to change it. Jesus can, if you open yourself up. So first step, let someone pray for you, right? Jesus has powerful things for you right here and right now. I'm gonna encourage you to receive those things before you go. And a great way to do that is letting someone pray for you. Whether you're struggling in any area of your life, whether it's your finances or you need physical healing or whether there's things in your life that are just incredible and you want more, he's offering you more. Come forward and let someone pray for you. They're gonna lead us here in some more worship and I'm just gonna invite you to slow down. Let God continue to work in you. In you. Let him bring you to life. Thanks for coming to the vineyard.